Hey, it's Ian Altman. Before we dive into this week's episode, do me a favor and stop by and visit GiversEdge.com. There are only a few gifts I've received over the years that really stood out, and they were all sourced by the ruling group who you can find at GiversEdge.com. Hey, it's Ian Altman. On this episode, I'm joined by Lisa Cummings. And if you've been a longtime listener, you know that Lisa was on one of the early episodes in season one, amazingly popular episode, so we've asked her back. Her expertise is on StrengthsFinder and the assessment that gives us insight into our own and our team member strengths. We're going to talk about the greatest misconceptions when it comes to the StrengthsFinder, what to do and how to actually use and apply the results from a StrengthsFinder evaluation, and then what the StrengthsFinder assessment says about you. You're going to learn a ton. It's a lot of fun with Lisa Cummings. Lisa Cummings, welcome back to the show. I love being a two-timer. I know. You know what? You're you're in a you're in rarefied air right now. I feel really special right now. <laughs> well, you should because the last time we had you on, you spoke about this idea of leading through strengths. And enough people commented, enough people said, well, so what do you mean and how does that apply that we had to have you back? Because candidly, people are asking questions that I can't answer, but you can. Sounds perfect. I love when they start asking questions about what do you actually do with this? Great to know, but it doesn't need to just be kind of a parlor game. It needs to go beyond that and actually affect performance. Yep. So when when we go through this this um the strengths profile for people and people go through this assessment, which you had me go through the, what's it called? The strengths profile? Strengths finder. The strengths finder. You mm-hmm. would think I would know that. But so, so when I went through the strengths finder, there's some interesting stuff that I learned about me. And when we're going to get into that in a second, but first, what are the common misconceptions that people have about this whole idea of strengths finder? Cause I'm sure there's people who have heard of it and have preconceived notions that aren't accurate. Well, let's see. The first one would likely be, well, then you must be all Pollyanna and think that people should just ignore their weaknesses and and that must make you a fool if you just believe all you can do is focus on what you're great at. So that's kind of one conversation. And then another is that people will think that there are specific strengths that are good ones and bad ones. It comes up in sales a lot as well, where people will think, oh, well, if you don't have competition and you're in sales, then you're probably not a good salesperson. So those are some of the examples of things that people will assume, oh, if I have these and I might get the wrong lineup, then my boss is going to think I'm terrible. Or actually the leaders do it as well, where they go, hey, look, I have these couple of successful salespeople. So we need to profile everything against this. They happen to have these three talents. I want every person to have these three talents. And then it takes them down uh, the wrong path. And, and why, why is that the wrong path to go down? Because really, these these talents, to give you an example beyond competition, there's one like you have that is called Activator, and it says, hey, you get things going fast. So it doesn't tell you anything about the skills that someone has. It says how you apply the stuff on the job. So if it the turns top- out, by the way, it turns out so our <laughs> listeners know, it, it turns out through the study, I have no skills. I just tend to do things quickly. So that's good. Go ahead. <laughs> you get to do more things quickly. <laughs> so it makes great. you successful, right? And actually that could be a, 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 a true example of how you've brought success to your life. So if you hired a stuff like this, it's not going to tell you what job you can do. It tells you how you 
go about the job that you have. So that's why I say that would be a mistake because um, you can apply activator to a sales job. You can apply empathy to a sales job. You could take any of these and say, all right, whatever the role is and take the ones These talents are just the natural patterns of how you think and how you approach the world. So instead of saying, we need everybody to act like that, you say, all right, here are the things that come naturally to you. How can you use those to your benefit in your job? Are there there certain strengths that might align better than others with either innovation or leadership or sales more so than other strengths might? Well, I certainly see patterns like you, you can take these 34 potential talents and divide them into these four categories and they are relationship and then influencing and then executing and then strategic thinking. And so on sales teams, I see a lot of influencing talents. So that's a common one where you'll see that very heavily, but you can see a great salesperson who leans into relationships and you would think, oh, that makes a lot of sense. So Yes, there are certainly patterns that you see. When I work with engineers, I get more of the thinking talents and the executing talents. And so they're equally smart people. They're just applying talents to different jobs. So there are certainly patterns that emerge, but I wouldn't use them as things to discount and say, oh, yeah, we're not going to hire this person because they don't have a normal top five. Yeah. And I know that as a general rule, when people take the strengths, when people go through StrengthsFinder to identify their strengths, you keep all that stuff um, very private. You actually had me go through it, and I found it was very insightful. So I'm giving you permission during our discussion to, you can share any of the details about me, and I don't want people listening to think, oh, wait, if I do this StrengthsFinder with Lisa, she's going to go on the air and start broadcasting it about me too. Yeah, I love it. And you know what's interesting? I do try, I do a lot to maintain confidentiality, especially of an individual client. Um, but what's cool about StrengthsFinder, because it's sharing the good part of you, it's not, the, it's not the neuroses finder. So it's not telling people what you're bad at or how your thinking is flawed. And so most people feel really excited to share these. Even uh, just yesterday, I I offered it to somebody that I know in sales, and uh, he doesn't look like a typical profile at all. Yet when he got them back, he said, wow, this, this is one of the nicest things I've ever read about myself in my life. So it's very cool, even if it doesn't seem like a usual profile to someone, people are most of the time. They're really willing to share, and teams tend to share this. In fact, a lot of the companies that I work with, they put it on their cubes, they write them in their email signatures, they make them as public as possible so that you can cater your communication style to each other and think about what somebody you're working with, what they might need from you. And so really in the companies that do it best, I see them sharing it really openly and they use it for good. You said that one of the things is once we've discovered people's strengths, then we can cater our communication to them. So give me some examples of strengths that somebody might have or strengths they might lack and how you might adapt your communication. Because one of the things I'm trying to provide insight for our listeners is if you're someone who's managing people, salespeople or otherwise, what are these strengths going to indicate that might give you a cue as to how you should alter your communication? Right. Yeah, and it's so good. If you use this as a leader and you start thinking about how you communicate with your team members, the power is exponential in it. So let's say, let's pretend that you are one of my teammates and I were communicating with you because you have 
um, command and because you have activator, those kind of sound like the definitions kind of sound like what you would think by hearing them. I would imagine that you would be somebody who wants to hear the short answer. Give it to me straight. Give it to me quick and give it to me now. And so even if I didn't know you very well, I would look at the list and think, all right, I'm not going to bloviate. I'm not going to give you all the flowery language and I'm not going to um, give you the long version so that I can soften the blow for you. I'm just going to give it to you. So that's an example of how if you were my teammate, I might do it. But if I had someone who had high empathy and high relator, they would really value the one-on-one conversation. I think about someone who reported to me who had those talents and before every call started in the content, the regular content of the call, I had to talk to him about his family and what's going on in his life. And if I didn't, he didn't feel cared about. I knew that about him. So we spent five, 10 minutes talking about his life and that made him more loyal in his work because I cared. And so that's an example of how you might cater the conversation totally differently depending on who the person is. I love that description, that notion of, what one person's going to going to want to hear versus somebody else. It's funny, in my prior business, my COO, anytime we were doing some major initiative, would always come in with an executive summary and like 30 pages of supporting material. And I would and I would read the executive summary and go, okay, Bob, let's go. And Bob, who was a guy who was all about the details, would say, no, no, you haven't looked at all the other supporting stuff. And I would say, well, Bob, that's, that's why I have you. Like, I don't, I don't need this. You've already covered all that. So is there anything in the supporting documentation that doesn't, isn't consistent with the summary? And Bob would say, well, no, great, let's go. And it's like, then let's start. And so that actuator or activator um, strength that you identified for me, it's like dead on. It's like, okay, so can we start now? Let's go. It's so perfect. And you have one called strategic as well, which tends to be a very fast paced thinking theme where in that talent, you can look at a bunch of options and really quickly you pick the path that you think is the right path and boom, you're on your way. There's no buyer's remorse about it. There's no overthinking it done. And I, so I imagine you combine strategic and activator and command and you've, you have somebody who's very decisive and ready to go. So tell me about the guy on your team. So you're both C-level guys and you would think, oh yeah, you know, high level, easy to communicate with each other. They get it. How did he respond to you when you didn't sift through all of his stuff? Well, for starters, he thought I was absolutely nuts and like, but how could you not want to look at all this data? Because that's what he does is he sifts through all the data. And the good news was that it didn't take a terribly long time Easily within five or six years, he adapted to the fact that I wasn't going to look at all that stuff. And it would get to the point that he would just realize, ah, okay, he doesn't need all this data to make a decision. He's actually entrusting in me. And I think it was once he realized that it wasn't that I didn't care about the work he was doing, but instead it was that I trusted him at such a high level that I didn't need to do the work he had already done, then he was okay with it. But initially, I believe that he thought, well, he's ignoring all this hard work I did. Exactly. Oh, you're hitting on so many things that happen in companies. Uh, so 
then let me ask you this. After you guys came to that realization, you know there's a lot of mutual trust there. Then did he stop doing that analysis? No, he didn't stop doing the analysis. He just stopped sharing it with me. So he would say, he would come in and say, look, so here's the bottom line on this thing. And I've done a ton of analysis on it, but I'm guessing you don't want to see it. I'd go, yeah, that's right. Unless you feel I need to see it to make this decision, or unless you feel that you didn't capture it well in the summary, but I'm sure you did. And he would say, oh, of course, yeah, it's right there. And I'd say, great, thanks. Yeah. That's a perfect example of partnerships and how well they work when you combine the styles up. And let's just say he has analytical really high. That's one that I might hypothesize based on what you just said. And so then when you said no, he didn't stop doing the analysis, that doesn't surprise me at all. He might also have one that's called deliberative, which means it's kind of like the risk manager type. They really love to dig in and understand what what could go wrong, what things we need to consider looking forward at the at the options that we choose and how they could go wrong and really vet those out in advance. And so if he, let's say he had analytical and deliberative, just because you don't need that anymore as his CEO, it doesn't mean that he doesn't need to go through the process of doing those to feel good about the recommendations he's making to you. So it's really cool when that works out because you're honoring his style and letting him be at his best by doing all of that stuff so that you don't have to do it because you would poke your eyes out if you had to do all the stuff he was doing to come to that recommendation. So that's a great example of how when you led through your own talents and you let him lead through his, you, the company had a better outcome overall. So what does a what does a manager do um, if they if they see that there may not be a great connection between somebody's strengths and the the role that they're in? And what I mean by that is if you say, okay, well here are their strengths, it may seem like there's a disconnect here. Can you give me some examples of how leaders compensate? For that, because I know that it's not just this Pollyanna view of everything's great, don't worry about it. But I know in many cases, what you help people with is, okay, so it appears they're missing this one piece, but here's how we can build upon this other area. So can you explain that a little bit? Yeah, sure. And I want to get into what drives a lot of that as well is the, that there's no feedback at all and that managers tend to not give it until – stuff is going really wrong. And there's data behind that that's really solid too. Like there's a, a Mercer study in 2015 that said 51% of employees say that they get no input or input once in a while from their bosses. So that's tiny. Then Gallup did a study. It showed 65% of Americans reported getting zero recognition for good work last year. So what I find happens to the things you're talking about is people only hear about it when they're not doing something right. So the manager's thinking, oh my gosh, the person's not a great fit in this job. I don't know that this is going to work out. I don't have a big enough team to retool everything and customize it just for them. And so they really get focused in on what's going wrong. And then they save up the feedback, they get annoyed and they give it to them. Maybe in some, I call, I call this uh, method of feedback, the bamboozle sandwich. It's <laughs> Where they do that, like, okay, this person's not working out in the job. So they give them feedback in the sandwich style that they learned about where it's positive, constructive, positive. You know, everybody yeah. knows about that one. But then what happens is it's like, it ends up sounding uh, like one of those, you know, hey, John, 
you did a good job collaborating with other teams on that CRM system project. And now I need you to expand existing customer accounts more. And I also wanted to appreciate you for what you did last quarter when you solved that problem about our revenue dashboard. Okay, so you break down stuff like that and you know what's really bothering them is they want a deal expansion. That's all the manager really cared about. And the sandwich technique example that I gave, it's like, it's not focusing on the conversation he really wanted to have. He just breezed over it. And so a lot of times John misses the point entirely. So he's not going to focus on expanding deals. So the manager continues to think he's a bad fit when he may or may not be. He doesn't even know is as much as a priority as the manager's making out in his mind. John's a smart guy. When he thinks about the conversation later, he realizes he got bamboozled and those two compliments were just there to soften the blow of the real conversation. So then he disregards those as well when he figures it out because even if they're true, he's like, well, he didn't mean it because he just did it to soften the bad stuff. So that's why I really recommend noticing what works. Notice what works. You can get more of what works. So it sounds counterintuitive, but when that situation comes up, the first thing I talk to managers about, what do, you, what do they look like when they're doing stuff well? What's going on? What situations? What are they doing right? And a lot of times you can expand on that and they can become way more of a job fit than they expected because they were obsessing over some negative thing that was poorly communicated and they're just getting real triggered into that one spot and it's not changing or making any you know, business impact by focusing on that one thing. Well, it's, it's interesting you mentioned that sandwich method. Um, because one of my um, one of my guests from last season, Allison Whitmire, who to this day is still one of the most popular episodes uh, I've had, which is all about giving and receiving feedback. And Allison actually pointed to the sandwich method that everyone's been taught. She said the problem is that if you're trying to be direct with somebody and then you sandwich it, it's like, well, so how was the meeting? Well, I think they're pretty happy with me because I got like two positives and one negative. So all in all, things come pretty well. It's like, you know, you get this very inconsistent message. And then Joe McClinsky and his team at EntreQuest, who I've had Joe on the show as well, and have actually worked with some of the people on their team, they say one of the biggest challenges, and I'm interested to your thought on this, is that a lot of managers don't have like a regular monthly sit down with people on their team or whatever the period of time is. And so the only time they sit down with them is when they're not happy about something. Yep. And there's no opportunity for communication. So how do you deal with that? Well, one is that the managers have to think of that as their job. I mean, it happens constantly. I, I have the exact same experience you're describing where the only time they sit down is when something bad is happening or when they're doing their you know, their status updates, like what are your commits and, to, you know, they're going through the week uh, to get the status updates uh, sure. about what's going on in the business. And they're not thinking about their job as developing talent. It's so hugely important. It's looking at the conversation with the employees and saying, how can we figure out, I just, look, I'll make it really simple. One thing I have them do is go through this list of yucks and yays. Yep. And they have a conversation about what do you look at your calendar for the next couple of weeks? What do you look at and go, oh, yuck, I can't stand that one. I know I'm going to procrastinate it. I hate doing that. And they have a conversation about those. And then they do the same thing on the A's. When I look at it, I go, yes. And I can't wait to have that customer conversation. I can't wait to do this responsibility. And you figure out as a leader, how do you help them get fewer of the yucks and more of 
the yays. And sounds like a really simple thing. It's just one of, you know, a hundred conversations they should be having about their development. But those are the simple things that a lot of leaders aren't looking at that as their job, developing talent. And if you're not committing to it and the conversations that come along with it regularly, it's not going to happen because there are always business priorities and fires that are going to come up and steal your time away. One of the things I often see in businesses that's kind of the big mistake when it comes to sales management is so there's there there are different mixes. So you either have the person who says, "Well, you know, I'm managing the salespeople. Um, I don't, you know, I don't have someone else do that." So you have a CEO who does that, which basically is saying, "Look, I'm either going to run sales or I'm going to be the CEO. I can't do both at the same time. So I'm going to split my time, and now I'm going to compete against companies that only have somebody doing one or one or the other at a time." I'm, you know, I'm trying to do both at the same time. And candidly, in my prior business, there was a period of years where I did that unwittingly. Then you have the person who, um, the the most dangerous version of this is when they say, "Well, okay, so I'm going to take this so and so as a top producer, and you're also going to manage our salespeople." Yes. And regrettably, the top sales performer is rarely the best sales manager, because your top sales performer is usually are very comfortable working independently towards a goal or outcome as opposed to the best sales managers feel their job is to mentor and support other people. So true. And it happens not just in sales. It's every function. I see it in marketing. I see it in ops. I see it in customer service. People get promoted because they're great individual contributors. And I work with a lot of new leaders. I do a program just fully for new leaders and the transition, especially on the mindset shift that it takes from moving from an individual contributor kind of mindset to a leadership kind of mindset. And oh my gosh, you get promoted for being a great individual contributor. And then as a new manager, even if you want to do a great job, and especially if you still have responsibilities like you described where you're selling and managing, then how does anyone expect them to be great when it's the first time managing other people? They're just getting grounded and figuring out all the different ways you have to think about priorities. And there's often no support, no formal mentorship. A lot of times people go, well, they were great. You know, they're low maintenance employees. They're going to be awesome on their own. So they're not going to need a lot from me. That's going to make it easier. So then they ignore them. Not to be bad people, but just assuming they're going to go rock the house in this capacity because they did in the other one. It's just a recipe for failure. And they're out there, this former high performer now going, oh my gosh, I'm now I'm sucking at both. I'm about to get fired and I don't know who I can even talk to because I don't want to admit to anyone in the company that I'm failing. All right. So I'm going to put you on the spot. So we've got somebody who we're looking to move from individual contributor to a leader of a team. And we got to come up with three things we should have that person do, three areas they should focus on to position them best for success. And by the way, if the answer is four or two, I'm cool with that too, but let's just say it's three. Um, what would you What would you do? Because I know you do workshops on this as well. So give people kind of a snapshot or a glimpse into what that looks like. Sure. Well, I, I think I'd put it into two main buckets. I would say, because I, I, you know, I'm a, a nonconformist, so I can't pick your three options before. Uh, so let's say talent development is one, 
and then the business outcomes as two. So the second one is usually the clearer one to people because they go, okay, I know I'm responsible for this department and I have to have these outcomes and we have these business goals and so I'm going to align to the corporate strategy and, and do that. So that one's easier to logically talk through. But on talent development, it's tougher especially for new managers to understand it. And I'd break that one into a few categories. You oh, have, sure. Now you have three. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Now I like three is a lot. So then you go retention of existing employees. You have acquisition. You know, who are you looking out for? Just like you're doing with selling with customers, you always need to have some warm candidates in mind and always be networking for thinking about next candidates for roles and then developing in place, just career development. What are you doing to help a person, every person on the team feel like they're growing and they're thriving and becoming the best people they can become? And and where do you incorporate things like StrengthsFinder in retention, acquisition, or development? Well, it really nicely, it, it's almost like an umbrella over all of those because if you're leading through strengths, your own and your team members, it's going to drive your employee engagement. And if you're thinking about employee engagement in a broader way, you're going to have people who are in the company feeling engaged and loyal on the job, feeling like they're growing. And so um, it really hits all of them, the least of which in acquisition, because it's tough to know somebody's specific strengths when you're courting them for a new role. But when it comes to retaining and development, it's just, it's an obvious tie once you get into it because you think, well, I'm developing them because I'm helping them leverage what they're already naturally going to have a propensity to do. I'm helping them figure out what they're energized by at work. I'm helping them find where they're most productive and effective. And then I'm giving them more of that kind of work. So in turn, that drives retention because they're excited about what they're doing at work because, you know, if you like your work, then you're going to do it longer. You like the people you work with and feel respected by your manager. You're going to feel a little more loyal and likely to stick around, even if that's because you're developing them into the next job. So cool. So cool. Mm -hmm. And I I know that for me, it was really, um, really eye-opening and not in a scary way, but when I went through this, my first thought was, yeah, I mean, how accurately is this thing really going to characterize my strengths and and my skills? So I went along with it, and I and I went through and did the strengths finder. And when you know it, you asked me, well, what do you think? And I said, well, I think it's dead on. What do you think? And you said, well, it looks like it's dead on to me too. Why don't you ask some other people? And everyone said, um, yeah, that's pretty much you. <laughs> And so it really was a pretty good indicator because I've taken other assessments that I think, well, did I get someone else's report? And this appeared to be just dead on. Exactly. I'm glad that you felt like that. And it's fun when you just, when you know somebody and they take it and instantly you you think of examples. Like I think of how good you are. You're always role-playing examples. And they're not just the ones that you've prepared for your big speeches. They're actually, you know, salespeople give you a conundrum in the moment and you just role-play it out instantly. And then I've seen people as they're watching you like, wait, 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 hold on, rewind. Tell me, what did you just say? And they're trying to write down every word and you're like, I don't know exactly what I said. It was something like this. And you'll say the next brilliant thing. And it wasn't what you just said. And that's just so perfect because you look at communication, command, activator, you're fast. You can instantly 
find the right words for the right situation. It just makes total sense in the ways that I've seen you play out your, you know, your career and your your way with things. It seemed like a totally obvious one for me too. Some people can't see them though. It's cool that you you said, yeah, this feels like me. Some people go, yeah, that's like, eh, kind of reads like a horoscope. But it's just, these are easy things. They're not that big of a deal. <laughs> so that's an interesting one too, because it's tough to see them as virtues because they just come so naturally to you. Well, you know what? And I'd encourage other people to go through this because I was kind of skeptical. I went through it and and did the strengths finder and it was really cool. And I think it actually helps in my communication with other people, and I shared it with people on my team who it's, it's, it was of no great surprise to them, but it also gave them ideas of how best to communicate with me. And a new member of my team said, ah, that makes perfect sense. That's why you don't want this type of information. You only want that. And so it really helped in that communication. So Lisa, what's the best way for people to find you? And if they want to take the strengths finder, for themselves or their team, where can they do it? Sure thing. So if you want to check us out, come to leadthroughstrengths.com. So company is called Lead Through Strengths. And I'm out on Twitter at Lisa Cummings. And then if you want to buy Strengths Finder and check that out, just grab the book. The easiest way is to do the book Strengths Finder 2.0, wherever you buy books. There'll be a code inside of it. So you can learn what your top five talents are. And you can also get more on the premise of what it's like to use your strengths and the strengths of the people on your team to strengthen the performance you get at your company. Yeah, it's really insightful. I encourage people to do this. It's just, it's a... It's an eye-opening experience on kind of how you're wired and then how to apply those strengths for your success. So, Lisa, thanks so much for sharing your wisdom, and it's a pleasure to have you back. I'm looking forward to the threefer. (laughs) Now you can see why I asked Lisa to come back. Just a wealth of knowledge. Let me give you a quick 30-second recap of the key information I think you can apply and use right away from today's episode. First, remember the strengths finder is just one data point. It's basically gonna give us an indicator of our natural talents and patterns that you can leverage. We wanna think about those different categories of do you fall into the relationship, influencing, execution, or strategic thinking categories. Make sure that you're giving feedback often and providing regular recognition so that anytime you have a discussion with an employee, it's not a crisis. And the sandwich approach, though often taught, is really dangerous because the recipient may not get the real message if you surround it with false positives, meaning false information that's positive about them, just you can hide and make them feel better about the critical aspects of the discussion. Remember, this show gets its direction from you, the listener. If there's a guest you think I should have on the show, if there's a topic you want me to cover, please just drop me a note at ian at ianaltman.com. Please take the time to leave a review on iTunes or Stitcher and just drop us a note and let us know how this is impacting you and your world. Have an amazing week, add value, and grow revenue in a way everybody can embrace, even your customer.